Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. My 2001 team championship, um, it'll be one of the greatest moments that I, I, I will ever have in, in, in this sport. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back my time, that's good wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gents, welcome back to the show. My guest today is Damian Hahn, the head coach at South Dakota State. And before that, he spent 12 years helping build a dynasty at Cornell. And I got to say, folks, Damian Hahn, back in the early 2000s, was touted as the greatest high school wrestler of all time. I know I say that a lot, but his credentials certainly back it up. He was a four-time New Jersey State finalist, three-time champ, only had one loss. That was his freshman year in the finals. He also won Fargo three times. This guy has a wealth of knowledge and was a gem to have on the podcast, so I really appreciate his time and hope you folks enjoy the interview. Fate of the week goes to Keegan Johnson of Columbus, Ohio. Thank you so much for tuning in, my friend. Really appreciate it. Folks, this episode is brought to you by Gable the Goat Part 2 which is a podcast documentary that we produced on Dan Gable. Part 2 came out last Tuesday. You can find it in the feed that you're listening to this episode now. It's episode 109, so give that a listen. It's a fully produced documentary. It's not an interview. We're going to be doing more of them, but please check that out if you enjoy this show. Gable the Goat Part 2. It's episode 109. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for Damien Hahn. Damien Hahn, welcome to the podcast, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? Excellent. Trying to make the the best of this situation, but fortunately for my line of work, it just gives me more time to do stuff like this. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you, man. This is crazy times we're in right now. So what? Uh, let's just let's just hit on that real quick since we're there. What was your uh, when was your first inkling that the Nationals might not go on even without fans? Ah, uh, you, you when when when. You saw what was coming down the pipe with, uh, you know, the media, all the, all the news outlets, and then uh, before they uh, decided to do the national tournament with no fans, um, you know, it was about it was right before the Big Twelves, and we were sitting down talking, and uh, my staff, and we kind of had a feeling we were just like, you know, could this thing be in jeopardy? 
And um, as as days went on, I mean, heck, even in minutes, hours went on, mm-hmm. uh, it got more more real. And um, when we got the first word that they were going to have the NCAA tournament, no fans, um, <clears throat> then you read the caption from from the NCAA, and it said we're going to continue to monitor monitor this, and we'll make adjustments as needed. Um, for me, I was looking at it and said, I said, there's no the only other adjustment if needed would be to cancel the tournament. And, um, it was a creek. I mean, crazy, right? I mean, who, who would have ever thought that the NCAA was going to do something like this? And then you have, uh, you know, I think the NBA, the, you know, the major league baseball. And when these things started happening, it was a foregone conclusion. We knew what was coming down the pipe and we can only hope for the best. And, um, yep. you know, fortunately this is, this is the route. This is where we're in right now. So it's a crazy time. Um, we got to do our part. You know, is it, is it a shame that there is no national tournament this year? There are no sports on, on television right now. Um, yeah, it stinks, but I mean, we're doing this for the betterment of, kind of world health right civilization and, and, as a whole you know yeah you know? sure and, and so i think uh, when we look at it that way we are such a small little blip on the radar comparative to everything else we're going through so you know this is the right thing that we're doing right now definitely and have you heard of any any news on um getting an extra year of eligibility for the national qualifiers i haven't heard too much i know they're they're going through some some talks right now um at uh, the NCAA and, and some of the committees that they're on, I think um, as we as we kind of move forward, you know, you look at the, the the whole spring season. You know, those sports they didn't even have a season, so um, I think it's a better chance maybe to do something with the spring sports than it is with the winter sports because I mean would we go through almost 90, 90 some odd percent of our season and we missed out on the, 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 you know, the national tournament. Uh, I don't know exactly what, what they're going to do. I know there's some logistic stuff that is an absolute nightmare. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and something comes out of this that, uh, you know, those qualifiers get something, but, um, as it stands right now, I have no idea. It's above my pay grade uh, (laughs) that problem out, but, uh, I hope, um, but it's, it's, it's not looking good. I don't think it's tricky because I mean, like you said, I was at the big tens in New Jersey with my brother, you know, there wasn't even real talk of it being postponed at that point in time. And like, so like at that point though, when Wednesday happened, this, most of the teams have been cut, you know, down to only the qualifiers, right? So there's only the qualifiers yeah. left. So like, you, you got to think you only give them the red shirt or the medical hardship, but it gets real tricky with juggling scholarships and things mm-hmm. like that. So, um, yeah, got roster spots, uh, you know, right. title nine stuff, uh, scholarships. I mean, you got kids that could be coming in that, that you were looking, looking to use a graduating seniors money for, um, so, I mean, it, there's a lot of logistics that need to be worked out. Um, it, I mean, could it be done for sure? I mean, anything is possible, right? Uh, maybe they do it first semester. They have, you know, a national tournament first semester or so, something. Um, but as it's looking, I mean, I, I just don't know if, um, they want to go down that route fully. Um, they're already going to have to do something, I believe with the spring sports. Absolutely. So. You know, it's, it's going to be tough, man. It's a shame, but you know, like I said, this is for the betterment of, you know, everyone. Indeed. And 
we'll uh, we'll move on to happier times. But you know, not not every guest do we go chronological. But I think as I was doing some research here, it makes sense for you just because there's so many fun little stops along the way. But if we go way back to the the team Hammer days, which is a <laughs> club that I understand. Yeah. Uh, your father, who has since passed on, started. and was a big part of your life. But let's go back to them, man. I mean, you come home from school with a flyer. Your mom yeah. says it's not WWF. You go, I don't care. I want to go. She yeah. made you stick out the practice. Um, from when, from that point till you were one of the greatest high school wrestlers ever, in between that period, when did it really hook you and you go, this is my love, man. I really love this stuff. Uh, so... You know, you got you got a good start there with uh, you know the WWE and the and the, and the flyer. Uh, I lived in a town. Uh, it was, it's called Jackson, and um, <clears throat> they had a Jackson Recreation Wrestling, and um, that's kind of how it all started for me. Uh, I was a big kid, and you know, in second grade, um, they, when I started wrestling. Uh, I was a Bantam heavyweight. I was a hundred pounds, you know, <laughs> in second grade. And I got two boys now and, and my, my, my oldest miles, who's named after my father, uh, you know, he's, he's in second grade. Uh, my wife, um, she's about five ten, five ten and a half. Her dad's six, four, uh, you know, I'm a big guy. Uh, so my, my, my eight year old, he, he's big as well. He's like 90 pounds and in, in second. <laughs> So he, he, he's a, he's a monster. And, uh, so I was big going into it and I, you know, all the kids I had to work out with were the, the volunteer coaches helping out. They were the one Oh three pounders in high school. So I got my butt kicked a lot. Uh, but there was something about it. it you know, the, the, the fight, right. You know, the, the I hated to lose. And as I, I kind of took to it, uh, a little bit more, it was probably third, fourth grade that, you know, I started having a little bit of success. You know, most big kids or little kids when they start wrestling, um, you know, they go out there, they, they, they stand around, they throw a headlock. Right. And I got pretty good at throwing headlocks. And uh, <laughs> so I started having some success early and I, I loved it. There was just something about uh, the the combativeness, the one on one kind of mentality that really like I, I, I took to and it was a challenge. Right. So um, it was probably, you know, within those first couple of years that that I really was like, wow, this is a lot. Winning is a lot of fun. And so, you know, you know, as that kind of progressed, you know, I, my, my parents, um, you know, they kind of started getting a little bit more involved and they started taking me to, you know, different tournaments on the weekends. And um, as, as kind of things evolved. Um, most of my friends that, you know, that, that, that were, um, I was close to were involved in wrestling or we became friends because of wrestling. And so not only was it going to tournaments on the weekend, which, you know, to go compete, but I got to see all my friends mm -hmm. and we would, I mean, you remember how it was when a little kid, you go to a tournament and you know, you're running through the cafeteria, you're you playing tag, you, you, you couldn't wait for a break in the tournament. So you guys can play football or something like that. So literally it was, it was like romper room you know, all day long on a Saturday. Right. So for me, it was just so much fun. And then I go out there and I, you know, I'd wrestle another heavyweight for a minute or so. I'd try and throw as many headlocks as I could and, and, uh, you know, hopefully get a win. And so it, it was just it, the whole culture of, um, the youth wrestling, the going to the tournaments. And, uh, I, I took to it right away and it was a lot, a lot of fun. And was your dad the like the kids club coach from what I read? 
Um, so he started a club later on and it was, uh, probably in my, my later elementary school days. Uh, the first, you know, I was going to the Jackson rec program. Um, we started with that and then, um, there was uh, a couple other little, little rec programs in our area that, that we would go to. And then as, as I got a little bit older, um, they, they, I don't want to say they started to kind of fizzle out a little bit, but there wasn't a lot of partners. Mm -hmm. And so, that's when uh, my dad and uh, one of my other youth well, youth high school coaches, uh, Tom Bradley, they were good friends. They decided they were like, you know what, let's uh, let's start a, a club and let's see if we can get kids. You know, in the area, he had a son that was wrestling. I was wrestling, and and we really tried to you know get everybody in the area together. And so we, we didn't pigeonhole ourselves. Like, you know, Jackson had a thing. Lakewood had a thing. Tom Driver had a thing. It was like, hey, let's get us all together. And it, it started in our um, my middle school because we moved from Jackson to Lakewood. And it started in our middle school Lakewood um, cafeteria. And we'd roll out mats and uh, we'd, you know, my dad and Coach Bradley, they would organize kids from all over the area to come and, and kind of work out. They put a schedule together and it kind of took off. And, you know, we were there from, from, from there all the way through, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school. And at one point, I mean, we had some of the best kids in the state, you know, coming out of our club and, um, our region that we we're in region six was a powerhouse region. And, uh, it was just, it, it, at that time, it was a good situation for a lot of kids that really wanted to, I guess the word today is specialize mm -hmm. in the sport of wrestling. And so it definitely helped me tremendously throughout my time. I just love that your dad, he wasn't a big wrestler, if at no. all, from what I read, he yeah. took to it and learned it just cause you loved it. And he became a coach himself, and I, I love hearing yeah. stories about like you don't have to be a great wrestler to be a good coach. No, no, and that and that that's kind of the crazy thing, right? You you look at a you, you know whatever media outlet you look at, you know for wrestling, and you know there's always who's gonna you know who's gonna be the next great coach, who's gonna be you know can this guy coach or or, or so on, and um you know we get caught up sometimes in the accolades, right, and uh, where the what these guys have done as a competitor. Um, that doesn't necessarily transition over to coaching, uh, you know, because when you're a competitor, you got to be selfish, absolutely selfish in, in, to trying to accomplish the goals that you have set down. Um, and, you know, you talk about my dad and I think my, uh, my dad wrestled two years in high school. I mean, he was a football player, you know, he wrestled two years in high school and, uh, you know, never really did anything. You know, he, he, I think he, the furthest he made it was maybe the region tournament. And, uh, so when I started getting involved, um, you know, he, he just watched and, 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 and just took everything in, you know, I tell people, um, you know, like even now, you know, we go through the recruiting process and I, I tell kids, you know, we'll sit down and be like, listen, you know, it, it's not so much about, you know, the, the, the technique, right? I mean, so like you, you can show a high crotch just as good as anybody can show a high crotch, right? But it's about the connection that you make with your athletes because, hey, I don't know if you're a parent, but I'll tell you this. No, I'm not. I'm not. With, with, with my kids, my I could say something, and my kids just don't even get it. And then my wife could say something, oh, yeah, Mom, that was easy. You know, so yeah. – it's uh, it's it's those little little connections that you make with your athletes that you can show the exact same thing, but it just registers a little bit different for each kid depending on who it's coming from, and so um, 
that uh, when you look at you know you know the wrestling side of it uh you know just because you're a great wrestler doesn't mean you're going to be the greatest coach and um you know i think it's the time and effort that you spend with your athletes and the connections that you build with them that really gets them uh to that next level to 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 really um um i I guess make make the best of what they got right and really kind of analyzing everything. So yeah, man, my dad was not, not a wrestler, uh, by any means, but he, he, he studied it, he watched it and he was able to, uh, speak to people and teach people, you know, about it that, uh, people took to. And, you know, it's one of the things that in my profession now, um, that I, I hold, you know, something close to me because, uh, what he was able to do with people was just amazing. And, um, you know, doing what I'm doing now, I mean, it's almost like I'm honoring, you know, something that, you know, that he did. And, uh, it's, it's important to me, you yeah. know, it is. What seems like, you know, when you say connection, that's a, could be a proxy for trust, right? It's all about building trust. Yeah. And if they don't, they don't trust you, it doesn't matter what they show you. Right. Not at all. <laughs> so you look- May you look back at some of the coaches you've got to work with, Rob Cole, Jay Robinson. Um, let's start with Jay Rob, man. When was the first time he walked in the living room, started to build that trust with you? Uh, so, I, you know, I I, I grew up, um, you know, I, my mom and dad, and uh, I have two younger sisters, and um, my dad was a uh, a, a, a big man. Uh, he had a big personality, and he 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 commanded respect. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And uh, <laughs> I grew I grew up with tough love, man. That you know, and uh, so I think the connection between me, Jay, my family, and Jay, uh, it was like seamless. Um, you know, my dad. My dad said, "Jump." We said, "How high?" I mean, the dog jumped. You know, so uh, there was no talking Jay, back to old man Han back in the day. No. No. And, and when Jay came in and his background, you know, he's an ex army ranger, uh, you know, he's been through it all. When he came in and, and, and sat down and talked to, talked to my parents, talked to myself, I think my, my, my dad, my mom were comfortable with, okay, this is a man that I could, I, I could hand my son over to, and I know he's going to be taken care of. Um, and I think that's what we all want for our kids, right? We want to know that our kids are going to be looked after and taken care of as well as we would do it ourselves. So I think, um, that was, uh, that was one of the points through my recruiting process with Jay, um, that made, made, made that decision easier to make. Um, you know, but it all started with Marty, Marty Morgan, who was, uh, you know, the head assistant there at the time. And we built that connection, um, early on. And then, uh, um, as, as things kind of progressed, uh, you know, getting Jay involved and, and, and Marty and Schwab and, and Russell. And I mean, it just felt like a perfect fit for me. And, you know, everybody, uh, everybody agreed. How close were you to going to Okie state? Oh boy. That was, uh, uh, it came down to Oklahoma State, Minnesota for me. Yeah. Um, I remember, uh, you know, it, it, it the signing period was like a Wednesday to a Wednesday, and on that Wednesday, that first Wednesday, I um I was uh, gonna if my parents would have let me commit, 
I was so tired, you know, I was, it, it was, it, the, the pressure was weighing on me. Um, I remember going into my parents' bedroom one night and I'm in, I was in tears and I said, I don't care. Just tell me where you guys want me to go. I'll go anywhere. I don't care if it's Ocean County Community College. If they have a wrestling program, I'll go there. And, um, I remember my, 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 my dad sitting up and saying, nope, you're going to make this decision. And I'm like, oh, my God. I said, all right, fine. I'm going to Oklahoma State. I don't care. I'm going to Oklahoma State. And uh, my dad said, no, you know, Marty has one more visit to come out. And he goes, you you need to, you know, give him that, give him that visit. And I said, I, I, tell him not to come. I, you know, I, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Um, he said, no, he said, he's going to come out. So he came out and, uh, you know, Mar Mar Marty, Marty talked. And as he talked, I listened and he, he, he there was a connection and, and that, uh, that I, um, I knew was there. Um, I knew my parents, um, felt good about, you know, Jay and the program and the direction it was heading. Uh, and, and so at the end of the day, after Marty left and I, I took a couple more days and I finally came to the decision of, you know, Minnesota was, was the place for me. And, um, I, I credit my parents. Uh, they, they Jedi mind tricked me a little bit. Uh, I like to think it was my decision, but at the end of the day, uh, I think they wanted that, you know, the most, and they made me believe it was my decision. Um, and I'm happy with that. You yeah. know, I'm happy. I mean, your parents always have your best interest at heart, no matter what. I mean, they are your flesh and blood and, um, they want, they, they will guide you and, and, and help you through the process. And, um, for me, that's what happened. And, um, you know, when I decided, you know, to go to Minnesota, my parents said, you know, we think you made a great, a, a, a great choice. And so, um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of how, how close I was to going to Jeez. going to Oklahoma State and, and John Smith and Mark Perry Mark Perry Senior was uh, the, the assistant coach there, so um, I had good connections with them. But um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, it, it, it felt right. You know, it felt like a good fit um, after having that final conversation with Marty and, and really connecting on a different level. Well, in the the wrestling world, the people who are in the trenches know, but for those who don't know. You won Fargo three times. You won New Jersey State three times, and you only lost once. And a lot of people say you and Colat and Alan Freed, you know, one of the best high school wrestlers ever. And so you must have been getting calls all the time during that period. Was it relentless? Um, yeah, you know, um, it, you know, back then you were only allowed to get one call a week from you know a school. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, one call a week. And, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then, you know, so, so the, the house phone, um, they would call the house phone, you know, we had a answer machine with a little tape cassette that would go in there. And, uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, different times, different times. And I remember we got our first computer when I was in, 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 in high school, it was, it was a compact and we had AOL dial up, man. That, that was, uh, that was it. And, um, you know, no email or anything like that. And so, you know, you get phone calls and, um, I remember when the signing time came, uh, I was getting national letters of intent sent to my house from schools. I never even talked to, they were just like sending stuff. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I would hate, to, I would hate to be, you know, a, a, a top recruit in today's 
world with the social media, the access to, you know, unlimited text and phone calls and, oh my God, I mean, th their lives are absolutely hectic. Um, so yeah, I mean, the phone rang a lot, uh, talked to a lot of coaches and tried to narrow it down as best I could. I took, you know, my five official took a lot of unofficial visits and my parents did a good job of, uh, exposing me to a lot of different atmospheres and uh for me i knew i knew what my goals were i knew what i wanted um i didn't you know you, you see some of these kids that uh today you know they want to they, they want to go to a school that has you know big time football right or and it's like listen i went to the university of minnesota um, not because of their football program, because of the wrestling program and the connections that I built with their coaches and the guys on the team. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people are like, oh, it's too cold, you know, to go to this school. We got to go to school in a nicer weather. Honestly, you're in a wrestling room. How many hours out of that day? And then when you're not, you're in class. So it's like the outside world. What are you out there just walking? You know, so you bundle up. <laughs> You go, you go from building to building. It's not that hard. Um, so for me, it was, it was really, I wanted to go to a place that, um, wrestling was a priority. Uh, it had good academics and I built a connection with the coaching staff and guys on the team that you said it before trust, mm -hmm. right. That I could trust unconditionally. And, um, you know, that was important. You know, uh, these, these, these people, I mean, these teammates, they were my brothers. Uh, these coaches were my parents and, you know, I, I wasn't staying close to home because there was no, you know, at that time, Penn state wasn't what they are. You know, Rutgers wasn't what they are. Um, so for me, it was getting out and going, going away. And, um, I wanted to be comfortable. I wanted people that I surrounded myself by that I could ultimately trust and rely on. And that's what I got, you know, at Minnesota. And you, you mentioned goal setting there and that you, you knew what goals you wanted to accomplish. That's why you went to, to Minnesota. And I've heard you talk about that before on the, actually when Joe DeSino was interviewing you, you talked oh. about uh, so, yeah, some of your philosophies on goal setting and it really jumped out to me. When was the first time you remember someone telling you about goal setting and how important that was? Was that like a high school coach or something innate that you always had? No, no. I, I, I've, uh, you know, it's crazy. Um, I've, I've never thought about that. Uh, I've never thought about one particular person that <clears throat> sat me down and was like, okay, here are your goals. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of it was innate. Mm -hmm. um, I remember, you know, coming through as a kid and uh, always being challenged, um, you know, and, and hats off to my, my, my parents for that, right? Um, I remember when I was a kid coming through and um, – you know, we go to a tournament and I'd wrestle two, three divisions because I'd have one kid in my weight mm -hmm. at, you know, at the division I was in. And I remember always being a challenge. And, uh, I, I and I'd always catch, uh, my dad was very coy with, uh, with me. And in the sense of, um, he never, he never really came out and said things, um, you know, like he would to his other athletes. Um, you know, I would always overhear. And, uh, you know, I would always, you know, I'd be warming up and I'd, I'd hear him talking or, you know, you know, whether, whether it was, you know, I don't want to say positive or negative, but just the situation and the obstacles that would have to, you know, I would have to overcome like, okay, you got to wrestle that he's got to wrestle this guy, this guy's got this, this, that, and the other thing. And I, I would, I would overhear some of that and I'd be like, all right, this 
is a challenge. I'm going to go, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go prove somebody wrong or whatever it is. And I remember when, uh, I was in middle school and I, I, we went to the New Jersey state tournament and, um, it was goodness gracious. You got guys like, um, uh, Rob Johnson, Rob Johnson of Jackson. He was an absolute stud, couple times state champ, ended up going, uh, I think to Rutgers on a soccer scholarship and, you know, playing professional soccer. Um, you got uh, um, Br- uh, Brian Stout, who was a Southern, who ended up going to Clarion, who was a four-time All-American. And I remember seeing some of these guys and um, going through that and watching uh, – uh, you hear this talk and, and, you know, nobody, there was never a four time New Jersey state champion. And I sat there and I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the first four time New Jersey state champ. Um, and it, 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 it was, it was my own goal. It was, it was something that I, I put down and I, and I, I set forth to do it. Uh, did it happen? Frick no, man. It didn't happen. Um, you were so but, close, though. Don't don't write it off like that. I mean, one point yeah. your freshman year. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I was close. But um, I think I learned a lot, you know, not getting it, um, you know, through that process. Uh, but and, I, and, and so I don't I don't think anybody ever sat down with me and, and, and really went over goal setting um, uh, and, and, and the steps to get there. Uh, my dad trained us. Um, I had my goals that I wanted to accomplish and we kind of just went with it. And like I said, everything was always a challenge. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can remember, uh, you know, even when I was a freshman, uh, you know, going into the, the, you know, the state tournament and, and, you know, people talking and, you know, saying I was in the state finals and uh, I'm walking over to the, the, the venue and some guys like, Oh, you know, you, you wrestling. I'm like, yeah, I wrestled tonight. He's like, uh, well, wait. And I said, you know, 171 pounds. And he goes, uh, Oh, you got to wrestle that Sean Scannell from, you know, he's a senior from Absagami and, uh, you know, he's pretty tough. And, and uh, it was just like, even, even little things like that, it was just like, all right. Yeah. And I was tough, but I'm tougher, you know, and, and it's everything for me, everything was a test, a challenge that I had to overcome. And whether if it was or it wasn't to the outside world, I made it that way for myself. It was just like, if I don't do this, if I don't get this run, if I don't get this last takedown, if I don't do that, I'm not going to win. And so everything was a little challenge to me. Um, and that was something that I did myself, you know, nobody had to tell me to do it. It was, uh, you know, intrinsically motivated, um, you know, by me. How did you manage that during your redshirt year when you weren't competing for the first time? And, you know, I mean, you were still competing and you, yeah. you know, you wrestled Kale Sanderson to that four to three match. But uh, Jay Robinson's known for putting redshirts through an absolute bloodbath of a, of a, you know, preseason and season. But, you know, did you, uh, did you struggle with that at all during your redshirt year at Minnesota or was it pretty seamless for you moving into that uh, environment? It, it, you know, like I said, I, 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 I grew up with a little tough love yeah. and, uh, you know, whatever, whatever my dad, Coach Bradley said, you just did. There was no question. So I followed, you know, I followed right in line. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my redshirt year, we had a we had a tough, um, uh, a, a tough training phase. You know, I thought I trained tough when I was, you know, growing up. And when I got to Minnesota, it was a different level. Um you know, it was a different level. Uh, we started doing things that I've never done. You know, really, I, I never lifted weights until I got to college. So <laughs> that was something 
new to me. And let me tell you, to this day, I hate lifting weights. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, it, it was a means to an end. Um, you know, we grew up, you know, we did sit up and push ups and we ran and jumped rope. And that, that's kind of how we, you know, we got our, you know, that weight, weight kind of training in. And um, so it was different, but it was also fun. You know, it was uh, it, it opened new possibilities and new doors. And so um, was it tough? Yes. You know, it definitely was. But um, I knew I was there, um, you know, to be a four time national champ. And I was going to do everything I could to give me the best possible chance to do that. So, yeah, that's what I did. Well, and people got to realize that during that time, Jay, you know, had been at Minnesota after being at Iowa and in ninety nine. They were so freaking close to winning, mm -hmm. and that stung for a while for those guys. Oh, yeah. and even to this day, I've, I've had Jay on, and he talks about it. Like it, it's still emotional for him. So you come in that that was your senior year in high school when that happened, yep. right? So you Penn come State. in. Go ahead. It was at Penn State. Oh, it was. I, yep, <clears throat> it was my senior year in high school. And uh, I remember going to, um, it was a, a Bryce Jordan and I remember going there and sitting, I got, you know, me and me and a coach, uh, one of my, one of my coaches from high school, we drove out and we got tickets in the Minnesota section and we sat there and we watched it all. And, and I think it was like half a point point maybe, I mean, they mm -hmm. lost and, uh, it was crazy. I mean, uh, and it right then, I mean, you're watching it and you, it was my first time ever going to a national tournament. Um, and it was the greatest show on earth. I mean, <laughs> nothing that could top a, a division one national tournament. And, uh, it was that moment. It just drove me and I, I, I wanted to be a part of it. And, uh, yeah, when you see, when you see your teammates, you know, future teammates and fans and, uh, how close they were to achieving something that's never been done at Minnesota. Um, was was hard you know it was, it, it was hard to process and and you want to be that guy that comes in and 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 and, and hey we're gonna do it and uh thankfully you know it worked out in our favor we did man but to your point i mean that came down to the lesnar match to the very last one you know yeah. and so to be in that section or in that tournament must have been energy level through the roof um uh, crazy yeah. um and so then you get to Minnesota and you have a, a great freshman year. You're part of that team that had 10 All-Americans and you guys won at Carver. Do you still yeah. remember the fans cheering? And, uh, they, oh, yeah. Because you guys had like a semifinal round where maybe like 0-5, 0-6, but just had an absolute bloodbath of a wrestle back and, and really laid it on people. What, what was that like? Oh, man, that was insane. That was crazy. So I remember, I think I was um, – I think I might have been uh, like the fifth seed, I think, my freshman year. Mm -hmm. And um, going in, I'm looking at the bracket, right? And I'm saying, okay, so I think the fourth seed was the guy from Indiana. Um, I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to see Kale in the semifinals. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm sitting with Leroy Vega, our 25-pounder, the night before. And um, we start going through everything. And I go – what's the maximum amount of matches somebody could have at the NCAA tournament? And he goes, well, if you lose first round, you're going to have eight matches. I was like, I ain't losing first round. I was like, that ain't happening. Well, guess what? I lost first round. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. Lost first round. <clears throat> and, uh, I had a battle back. I had a battle back through the backside and, um, you know, I had eight matches. And so, um, it was a absolute war. Uh, the, 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 
a couple a couple bright things came out of that. Uh, you know, you know, coming back through the backside, my freshman year in high school, I lost in the state finals to a guy Sean Scannell um, of Absagami. Uh, he ends up going to Ryder. His junior year, he's an All American. You know, at 184 pounds. Well, my freshman year at the NCAA tournament, he's a senior. We both lost first round. I wrestled him the next match on the backside. No. And so it was the first time I, I get to wrestle him again since four years prior. And um, we wrestled on the backside. I ended up winning that match. And, uh, you know, that started the run, you know, coming back to, you know, trying to be an All-American. And my 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 blood round match, um, if I remember correctly, it was um, I had to wrestle a kid from Iowa. And, uh, you know, we had that terrible round Mm -hmm. uh, in the semifinals and we went like 0 for 6. Um, We had four guys on the backside, you know, that blood round that if they win, we have 10 All-Americans. And I'm wrestling a guy from Iowa, Jesmyn Smith, that I've wrestled I don't know how many times in my career. And we are – you're in Carver, so it's pretty much all Hawkeye fans. But they had their corner section, and we were literally wrestling right in front of their entire fans. And uh, I uh, I ended up winning the match. It was a tough match. Uh, I ended up winning it, and um, it was right in front of their section. And it was was nothing short of amazing. (laughs) You know, you know the history. Jay was at – um, you know, he leaves Iowa, goes to Minnesota, starts to build something. And there's always been that, uh, you know, that rival between Minnesota and Iowa. And so, uh, winning that match, uh, in front of their crowd, you know, having Jay there, I mean, it's something I will never, never forget. It was a special moment for me, Jay and our program. Unbelievable. And the fact that it was at Carver and it's just like that saying goes, the obstacles the way, because, if they would have won in 99, it would have been awesome. But, man, yeah. to win an 0-1 with no champs at Carver, it's like yeah. you can't – it's it's better. It's just better than winning in 99. It had to be. I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable. It was, it was pretty special. You know, we um, – you know, everybody asks, uh, you know, so what are your – you know, some of your greatest – you know, would you rather win a team title? Would you rather win an individual title? I, I was fortunate enough to do both. Um, my, my 2001 team championship, um, it'll be one of the greatest moments that I, I I will ever have in, in, in this sport because we did it right. We did it. Mm -hmm. We had every single person, 10 guys, you know, on that podium, uh, man, that, that, that was, that was awesome. You know, in, in 2002, we win it again. And we, um, two of my roommates, Jared Lawrence and Luke Becker, two of my roommates, they made the finals. They win titles. I lost in the semifinals um, to uh, uh, Josh Lambrick of uh, Oklahoma. And I, I, so I lose. They go to the finals. They win. I'm an All-American again. We win a team national title, but it was bittersweet. Yeah. Like it was like I failed. You know, it was one of those moments that like, you know, hey, we just won a team title and I'm disappointed, you know, uh, you know, about about what how, how things how things, you know, worked out. Uh, so the the 2001 national championship team, my goodness, I mean, it, it, one of the best moments of my entire wrestling career. So special. 
you guys must have been rock stars coming back to Minnesota because they hadn't won much before. Even though they're in the Big Ten, they're a great sports yeah. school. They hadn't won much, and Jay must have been like the mayor of that place at that point. Man. <laughs> he must have been huge. It, it's it's just so cool to to see that. Now, you you talked about your sophomore year, and you know coming into college, the expectations for you must have been through the roof by everybody, including yourself. But after your sophomore year, you mentioned you lost in the semis and had to battle back. So going into your junior year, where were you at mentally thinking, man, you probably actually thought you were going to be a four-timer. Now you only got two years left and you had an injury. Where were you at mentally coming into your junior year and kind of battling through that season? Uh, so, so, so after after my sophomore year, you know, I took fifth again. And um, it was, like I said, bittersweet. And I had two two years to go and I was going to do everything I could to, you know, you know, get to the top of that podium. And uh, it kind of probably one of the I don't want to say the greatest things, because anytime an injury, you know, injuries aren't great, mm-hmm. but uh, it actually helped me. Um, so after the NCAA tournament, we're training still and, uh, you know, going you know for freestyle season. And I, I was doing I was doing sprints in the room and um I, I, we would run down, jump, you know, hit the wall and come back. And I remember kind of turning and putting my foot out against the wall and it kind of hyperextended a little bit. And, you know, I stopped running, my knee hurt. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I took a little bit, got back up, moving around and, you know, I thought, oh, you know, everything's fine. Just tweak my knee. Um, so we went, you know, through the freestyle season, the summer training, and uh, it was in August that and I remember, you know, going through that summer and, you know, Tim Hartung, I think, made a world team that year. And, you know, I was training with Tim and Brandon Egum and um, and I remember just it not feeling right. Um, you know, it was kind of it almost felt like loose a little bit, um, but I still wrestled on it and, uh, you know, did what I, you know trained and everything. Um, but I was home in New Jersey in August and I woke up one morning and uh, I come downstairs, you know, see, see my parents and my mom looks at me. She's like, Oh my God, what is wrong with your leg? And I'm like, what? And I looked down and my ankle was about the size of my calf. It was massive. <laughs> and, uh, she's like, you need to go get that look, looked at. And I said, yeah, I don't remember, you know, I didn't do anything to it. So I get back to Minnesota and, um, I go see our doctors and they x-rayed my ankle and they're like, no, your ankle's fine. He was like, you know, have, have you hurt your knee? And I said, well, I kind of tweaked it back in, um, you know, April, April timeframe. He's like, let's, um, let's, let's, let's check that out. And so they did an x-ray, they scheduled an MRI and, um, you know, what ultimately happened was just from the wear and tear, you know, eventually I, I tore the bursa sac and it started to drain down my leg. Well, after the MRIs come back, they're like, you have a completely torn ACL. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, that's, uh, that stinks. And, uh, I go, okay, wh- what do we do? And he's like, well, if we do surgery right now, um, you know, we'll have you back by January and this is August. And so I'm like, all right, you know, let's, uh, let's do the surgery. And so they did the surgery. I had it done. Like, I'm going to say like September 1st or something like that. And it, I, mean, I remember being in rehab two to three times a day. I mean, if I wasn't, if, if I wasn't at my house or in class, I was in rehab mm-hmm. and, uh, was able to come back, um, January 1st. Um, the, the, the target date was then cause we were wrestling Oklahoma state. And, um, at that point in time, um, you know, I was, I was projected to go 184. 
uh, you know, my junior year, I think I was ranked one or two, uh, going into that year. And so I do my, my rehab and training and I, you know, I come back January 1st and the weight was getting harder to make. Um, you know, I, I was, I was still growing a little bit, getting bigger, you know, with lifting. And so the weight was getting a little bit harder to make. And I go out there and I wrestle Jake Russell, my first match back. And I'm ranked like one or two in the country. <clears throat> and I wrestled phenomenal for about 30 seconds. Okay. I was so exhausted. I ended up losing like 6-1 or something like that. And uh, it was that match that I went afterwards. Uh, we wrestled Oklahoma State. Then we were leaving and we were going to Arizona and Nebraska to go, you know, wrestle a couple of uh, matches. Um, you know, it was like the following week. And so uh, I remember sitting down with Jay and Marty. I, I grabbed Marty first and, you know, I sat down with Marty. And, uh, he was kind of like my, my, my guy. And mm-hmm. I said, Coach, um, what do you think about me moving up? You know, I mean, the, the weight's getting tough. And he looked at me and he goes, I think it's a great idea. And I was like, awesome. Like, you know, I needed that reassurance. <clears throat> and he goes, let me talk to Jay. He goes in and talks to Jay. And, and from my my recollection, uh, Jay was not keen on it off the start. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I remember, uh, you know, hearing that, you know, he's not big enough, you know, um, you know, we're halfway through the season, you know, it's a, it's a big transition. And I remember Marty, Marty was, Marty was my, uh, you know, my, my guy. And he went in and he said, Jay, listen, I've wrestled the kid when he's 185 pounds. I wrestle him when he's 200 pounds. He goes, it's night and day. He goes, he's fine. Trust me. So Jay said, get through the weekend. I had a couple, couple tough matches, you know, Arizona state and, and, and um, and Nebraska got through the weekend. I won those two matches. I think one of them in overtime. The other at one 84 by, or 97? At 184. Okay. 184. And then uh, we were going to get through the weekend and then come back. And we had a guy at 197. Uh, Owen and graduated. And so we had a guy come in at 197. And, um, you know, Jay said, all right, you know, you want to go 97, you got to wrestle off. And I'm like, fine. You know, no, <laughs> that's fine. So <laughs> I, um, I wrestled off and when the wrestle off got the spot and I moved up um, to 197 when at, at national duels, you know, it was like the middle of January. And um, I, I, I remember it was the day of weigh-ins and I'm sitting there um, kind of just hanging out. You know, I, I, I didn't have to cut weight. You know, I, uh, <clears throat> my weight was already down and everybody's kind of, you know, got their sweats on and on bikes and everything. And I'm just kind of doing my own thing. And I remember one of my friends asked me, he's like, dude, your weight's good. And I'm like, yeah, my weight's good. Nobody knew I was going 97 yet. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, my weight's good. And, uh, I ended up weighing in at 197 and I think I went like three and one on the weekend, I ended up losing a match. Um, and so that was kind of the transition period where, uh, the move up from 84 to 97, um, it helped me tremendously. Uh, I remember that year going into practice and saying, you know, 
how much weight can I lose today? You know, because it was, you know, it was, it, it weighed on me that much and, uh, forget the wrestling, forget the technique, forget, you know, everything. It was just like, all right, how much weight can I lose? And, um, when I moved up to 97, uh, that spark kind of came back that, that, that fun that, that, you know, came back and I would go into practice, you know, feeling good and saying, Hey, these are the areas that I'm going to work on today. You know, I got to do this and this. And so when I moved up, um, it helped me. It helped me tremendously. And, and, and really, you know, thank, you know, I'm thankful for Jay saying yes, you know, for me to do it. I am, I am, uh, you know, forever grateful for Marty for, uh, you know, saying, Hey, you can do it and, uh, be in my voice. And, you know, I moved up to 97 and I ended up winning a national title that year. So it was, um, you know, pretty crazy, you know, pretty crazy going into the national tournament. I got the sixth seed, everybody ahead of me, uh, I didn't get the chance to wrestle because we were already, you know, almost, you know, two thirds through the season. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, all the big 10 matches that we had left, uh, you know, uh, I didn't see any of the guys ranked ahead of me. You know, they were big 12. Uh, John Trench was the number one ranked mm -hmm. guy, EIWA. So uh, I didn't have an opportunity. So I got the sixth seed at the national tournament. And so, uh, you know, it, it, it it, it, it just it, it worked out perfectly um you know how, how where i was in the bracket um you know how i was feeling as a competitor you know from a mental standpoint a physical standpoint um everything just kind of fell into place and uh you know i had a, i had a good tournament i had a good tournament and ended up uh you know wrestling a, a guy that grew up wrestling together you know john trench and um you know ended up getting that win and and Kind of sealing, sealing the the the, the one ninety seven pound discussion for me. So rest is history at that point, man. Yeah. And I mean that uh, I was watching the match this morning. Do you remember the sequence with the uh, the lateral? Like, is it a slow mo in your head, or was it like a a black blackout moment for you? No, no. Uh, I remember. <clears throat> I remember it. It was. Uh, so he actually helped me. Uh, he helped me a lot in that match when. But there was one, there was a sequence before that, and um, we were by the out of bounds. I kind of tried to hit like a, I was in like a front headlock. I tried to hit like a duck under. He turned me, and I was on my knees out of bounds. He was still in bounds. And there was, I don't know, 19 seconds or so on the clock, and he literally could have pushed me off and walked back to the center. I had had to get up off the ground, chase after him. He had no stallings, but instead he pushed me out of bounds and stopped the time at 11 seconds. Hmm. And so when that happened, um, you know, I I, I I I was right by my corner, and I hear Marty and Jay, and and I remember saying, "All right, you got one more chance at this. Let's go." And uh, I head back to the center, and <clears throat> my best shot from the outside is a high crotch. That's just that's my go-to. Um, so, you know, on my way back, I'm like, all right, you're going to, you're going to hit a high crotch that you've never hit before. And you're going to just go and drive and, um, right off the whistle, you know, I, I take a step forward, I hit a high crotch and he cross blocks, he cross blocks down and basically drags me up to over and under position. And, you know, growing up, you know, in my dad's club, we had one day a week that we designated to just throws. I mean, we just threw, you know, all, all practice long. And so it wasn't a position I was unfamiliar with. So, uh, when he pulled me up, it just opened up another opportunity. 
and he was completely on the defense. Um, uh, you know, he was he, he he literally shut down. And I, you know, he comes up. I step in. I go for the throw, and I don't get it. But I threw him hard enough that I kind of got out to the side on him, and his hands were on the mat. So I just had to kind of, you know, get my butt moving and go for a go behind. Um, but then he stands up, and I don't have the takedown yet. And you know he's going towards that out of bounds, and I'm like, if I try and lift him, we're gonna we're gonna go out of bounds together. So I said, you know what? I'm gonna just drop my weight and sag. And so I hang on him, and he hits the mat. I get the takedown. We go out of bounds. So it was uh, it was a, a surreal moment. I was just like, oh my god, like you know, it happened. Like, <laughs> it worked. Uh, so then we go back to the center, and it was like what two three seconds on the on the clock, and I had to ride him out for the win, and. Uh, it was, um, yeah, pretty crazy, man. Pretty darn crazy. Unbelievable. Who was the first wrestler who won a national title when you were an assistant at Cornell? First wrestler to win a national title. Oh, my goodness. So would it have been Jordan Lean? Uh, I think that might have been. Against Poeta? I believe so. Man, I, that one hurt for an Illinois boy. Poeta yeah, was a yeah. hero growing up. Man. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a tough one. Uh, and I didn't yeah. mean to abruptly change topics, but I'm just thinking no. for Marty. You know, I'm thinking for him, man. He, how many trips he made out to see you? How much time he invested in you yeah. to get that win is unbelievable. And obviously Jay as well. But I didn't really realize how close the assistants were to the wrestlers um, mm-hmm. until I started doing this podcast. Cause I never wrestled D1, but it yeah. seems like those assistants are like kind of like they're platoon leaders, right? They have a platoon yeah. of four weights. And yeah. so that must've been special for him and Jay, but for you, you know, you get to Cornell had to be a complete change of pace from your days at Minnesota, just in oh, terms no of doubt. the styles. I mean, just the work ethic, probably just a different kind of work. I would imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah I've had Rob on, he said he doesn't get guys up early in the morning. I nope. love that philosophy. No. I bet nope. Jay got people up early in the morning. <laughs> so, uh, um, and we don't have to talk about the first guy who won, but I'm just wondering what was that when, what was the moment where you got to Cornell? Like what was different about it from just being an assistant at Minnesota for the yeah. two years before that? So for me, um, you know, you talked about, uh, the relationships, right. Relationships with assistant coaches. Um, you know, th- now being a head coach, um, that's the one thing that I miss the most, right? Because my my day, I'm pulled in every different direction possible. Um, and uh, for me, um, you know, I rely heavily on my assistants, uh, you know, to, to 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 build those relationships with those guys. And 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 really, I mean, those are the guys that are with them 24/7. Uh, and not not to say that I'm not, but. I'm also doing other things. And, um, you know, so, so when you talk about, you know, my relationship with Marty, um, you know, there wasn't a greater bond, you know, you know, with another coach. And so when I went to Minnesota, um, or when I went to Cornell, uh, from Minnesota, you know, I was still training and, uh, competing and, and, uh, it was, it was difficult because like we talked about before, uh, if you're training, you know, you're selfish, right? And, and you got to get what you need. <clears throat> and so did guys, I guess, benefit, uh, when I was training? Yeah, they did because, you know, you know, the wrestling side of it and the, and the time that, you know, we spent, but it was still about me and what I needed to do. Um, the second I was done competing, 
um, and came a, I guess, full-time coach, uh, my world opened up and it really changed everything because it wasn't about me anymore. You know, it was about my athletes and what I could do for them. And, um, I, I always say you have two types of coaches, you know, in this world, the coaches that will win despite their athletes and the coaches that will win with their athletes. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, it all goes back, you know, to the beginning and, you know, you talk about my father, um, he never wrestled, you know, he, he didn't have success, you know, like the, some of these guys in the sport, you know, and, uh, but it meant so much to him for his guys reaching their goals than it ever did himself. Um, and when I look back and you know, look at my coaching career now, um, the, the, the time that is spent with these, with these athletes and, uh, the hurdles and the obstacles that you need to overcome. Uh, and I mean this and, and, you know, you, 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 you probably hear people say it all the time, but I swear to you, I would give back everything that I ever did in this sport for my athletes to have success because I know what it means. Like I, 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 seeing them reach their goals and knowing that you had a part of that is, is everything for me and going to Cornell, um, changing some of our training regiments, uh, you know, doing things that were kind of against the grain, you know, I mean, wrestling is a very, um, uh, <clears throat> old school, right? Yeah. Old school mentality, old school sport. And so I remember sitting down with Rob and really going over some of this and, and we, we came to the conclusion or he might've told me, uh, he's like, you know, why do, why, why do college coaches, you know, get guys up in the morning early and get their workout in and, and then come back in the afternoon and get another workout. And, uh, I was like, cause that's what we do, right? That, that's my best answer. That's what we do. Um, but uh, he goes, you know, it's, it's all stemmed from high school. You know, most high school coaches are teachers. Mm -hmm. And if they want to work with their guys outside of the afternoon practice, where are they going to do it before school? Mm -hmm. And um, there was a professor at Cornell, um, and we used to call him the sleep, the sleep doctor. And he came in and he worked with some professional athletes and, uh, he kind of went over this whole thing on, uh, sleep and, and how important it was for development, how important it was for cognitive skills, how important it was for just every muscle, you know, muscle memory and, and, and rebuilding. And so, um, you know, Rob kind of, he listened and, 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 and really was like, all right, you know, I'm going to give this a shot because we had a different type of kid, you know, um, you know, at Cornell, uh, you know, th there were, there were times and, and you get this across the country, but, um, you know, Cornell's an Ivy league school academic, you know, institution. And, uh, you know, you have, um, some professors that, um, really, they don't know sports exist, you know, I mean, they're, they're focused in their own little world. Um, and, and so if a kid was up till one, two, three in the morning studying for an, you know, engineering midterm or something like that, like, you know, that's how it needed to be. And, uh, you know, to get these kids up at, you know, 6am the next day to get a workout in on, you know, three hours of sleep, it's not conducive to anything in their life really. Mm -hmm. Um, so we really focused on that, you know, recovery process and we 
stopped all morning workouts. And, you know, we, that, that did, that didn't mean that guys weren't working out twice a day. Um, but it was, it was, it was catered to around their academic schedule, uh, trying to get them to maximize their sleep and, and rest and recovery. And so, um, you know, that was different, uh, than I knew, you know, being at Minnesota, it was different than most 99% of the colleges out there. Um, you know, Rob was a, a trailblazer in, in, in that regard, and he kind of, you know, went off on a different path. And um, we, you know, being an assistant and an associate head coach under Rob, you know, I mean, he he was our leader, and uh, you know, I was I, I, at first I wasn't wasn't too keen on it coming from Minnesota to Cornell, and you know, we won national titles, and this is what we need to do, and so just listening to him and and him being our leader and just saying, all right, boss, you know, we'll do what you want, how you want to run it, and uh, right away, right away, you saw a change. You saw a change in energy. You saw a change in uh, enthusiasm. You, you, you like it was it was happening right before your eyes. Mm-hmm. And um, you know we kind of went off on this path and uh, we started having success. And really, what it did was it really focused us to hone in on our athletes and train them accordingly, right? Because everybody's different everybody's different. Everybody needs something different. Um, you know, my dad, it, it was funny because it, it all circles back to the beginning because I remember my, at a, a, a very young age, my dad talking to his coaches and, and, uh, there was one statement that always sticks out to me. And it's like, you have your, you have your thoroughbreds and you have your Clydesdales, right? And you can't train them the same. Like they're, they're, they're different. They're made up differently. And, um, you know, when you come to a college program, um, doesn't matter where, anywhere, uh, you have these, these, these types of individuals and you leave it up to some, you know, you brought up, you know, having a guy Gabe Bean on your podcast, you bring it up to some, and some of these guys will work themselves to death and, you know, actually hurt themselves more than help themselves. And, you know, you really got to sit down and break down and know your athletes and you know, old Cam Simons, you know, who's here with me at, at South Dakota state. He's another one, just an absolute workhorse. And, you know, you really have to kind of cater to their training needs and, and, and know how to, um, really push them along in, in a way that you're, you're, you're keeping them close to the fire, but they're not, they're not being burnt out, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, and that's what, you know, being at Cornell really, really taught me, you know, we're, we're dealing with a different type of athlete, um, you know, in today's world with the access to social media, with the access to all these wrestling outlets, you know, coaching. I mean, some of these kids coming out of high school, well, they have they're being trained by Olympians, world champs, you know, all Americans, national champs. Hell, my dad was a two year, two year high school, uh, high school wrestler, you know, so it's like it's a different world. Yeah. And so um, you're getting a kid now that's at a different level. And, uh, you know, trying to keep them not only not only progressing um, through the sport, and, and getting better, but keeping it, you know, you know, keeping it to where, um, you know, it, it, one, it's just not stagnant for them. And that's where the individual training comes in. And what we did at Cornell, that what we do here at South Dakota state, um, you know, we have guys, we have our workhorses, you know, here, uh, we also have guys that are, you know, you know, that, that, that would get 
absolutely exhausted and hurt themselves um, physically if we kept them at that rigor for so long. So you really got to know your athlete. And that's the one thing that, you know, going to Cornell really, really opened my eyes to and really helped me, you know, shape me a little bit on, on who the coach I am. Um, and then, you know, Rob having his whole, you know, CEO mentality and, uh, you know, how he runs, runs his program. Um, man, I, 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 I am forever indebted to that man and, and what he has done for me, um, personally, um, you know, in my life as, uh, you know, as a person, as a coach, I mean, I, I can never repay him for the, the, the life lessons and, and the tutelage that he, he is, is, has, you know, given me. I mean, it's amazing. And when, what, what he's been able to do at Cornell and, um, the coaches and the wrestlers and the athletes and the people that have surrounded that program. Um, you know, that's what we're doing here at South Dakota state. You know, we're trying to build that culture of, uh, basically a culture of success. And that's the last thing I wanted to hit on was South Dakota state. And it's so exciting that you're there. And obviously Bono did a great job of bringing it from oblivion to yep. top 20, top 25. And, um, now you're taking that over and, and building on it. But, you know, you look at your career, you're a guy who had a lot of high school success, but then in college, you can tell the story, hey, I lost first round and came back, right? And then you worked with yeah. some of the freak among freaks, the Kyle Dakes of the world. And so you've seen so much. And and so, and so I've also heard that you thought you legit were never going to leave Cornell, which it's hard no. for me to believe because I feel like most assistant coaches are just trying to be a head coach. Yeah. Um, so why did, you, why did you move from New York, your whole family, to South Dakota? What, what, was, the, what was the allure? So, so that, that is true. I never thought I was leaving Cornell. <laughs> um, That's crazy. That I never thought. <clears throat> uh, so I don't remember what year it was, but, um, Rob talked to me and he said, you know, I want to name you an associate, our, our associate head coach. <clears throat> and I go, Rob, if you do that, I'm never leaving, you know, I, I, I'm staying. And, and I remember him saying, he was like, D don't, don't, don't say that. And I go, what do you, what do you mean? Do you not want me to stay? And he goes, no, I would love for you to stay and, you know, uh, you know, take over for him when he was done. And, and he goes, but never say never. And I said, okay. He goes, you know, if, if a great opportunity came by, um, and, and you didn't take it, I would, I'd feel like I didn't do my job right of uh kind of bringing you along and educating you and training you to take over a program and so that was goodness i don't know probably early 2010 to 12 13 time frame and uh again i you know sometimes the best things in life come unexpectedly and <clears throat> when uh, i got a call from uh south dakota state um let me people have heard this before but i never stepped foot in the state of south dakota until i came and looked at this job right <laughs> uh i mean i wrestled in minnesota we never went to south dakota i mean hell i've been i've been a north dakota for fargo literally yeah. never south dakota so i had no idea what to expect uh <clears throat> but the i i, I say this in, in um you know, one of the reasons I believe, truly believe why Cornell is so successful. Um, yes. Do they have Rob Cole? Does Rob Cole um, produce great assistant coaches? Uh, you know, do, do they have the network? Do they have some of these things? Yes. Right. But it has to start somewhere. 
right? It just all just doesn't appear out of thin air. So I, I, I credit a lot of uh, Cornell's success to, um, you know, one individual, and that's Andy Noel, you know, uh, you know, the athletic director there. Mm. Um, because, you know, with, with, with the wrong guy, I mean, it makes your life a lot harder. Right. And so Andy Noel, he's a wrestler, uh, you know, he wrestled Franklin and Marshall. He coached at Cornell, um, back in the late seventies, early eighties. And he has been the rock, uh, in, in, in Cornell's progress, you know, to be honest. So, um, if I was going to leave Cornell, uh, I wanted something similar, right? And I remember getting a phone call uh, from Justin Sell, our athletic director here at South Dakota State. And I get off the phone with him. We talked for probably a half hour, 40 minutes. And I get off the phone with him. <clears throat> I go out into the into our living room where my wife was. And she's like, how'd that go? And my words, first words out of my mouth, I go, that guy is freaking awesome. <laughs> and <clears throat> she's like, really? And I go, oh, my God, Terry. I said, he reminded me of a younger Andy Noel. And uh, when I said that, she kind of was like, oh, okay. You know, uh, now, now my wife from the Midwest, she's from Minnesota. We met okay. in college. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we um, I get off the phone with him. He's like, Damien, listen, we just got I just got to get you out here and see the place. And I didn't know what to expect. Uh but I, 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 I remember going out and walking through the facilities and I am uh, looking at, you know, the, 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 the facilities and meeting with the people and we going through everything, you know, I, and, and talking. I, I just there was a connection that I just it, it felt good. Right. It felt good. You know, walking through, um, you know, in the last seven years, they have put over one hundred and fifty million dollars into their athletics buildings, uh, athletics facilities. Um, and, and and I didn't know this. You know, I mean, heck, the only time I've ever seen South Dakota State was, you know, when Seth Gross, you know, won a national title. Mm -hmm. um, and so going through that and the vision that Justin had and, and the direction of the program, uh, it, 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 it really intrigued me. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, Oh my goodness, you know, we have, we have a building here. Uh, it's right on the backside of the football, football uh, stadium. It's called the S Jack and it's the largest indoor training complex in the country. It's 150,000, 150,000 plus square feet. And it has track, it has football, it has golf, it has uh, baseball, it has soccer. Like, I mean, it is massive. And I'm sitting there, you know, looking at some of these facilities and, and, you know, sports med and everything. And I'm like, wow, this, 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 is a hidden hidden gem <clears throat> and who would know uh, that the, about south dakota state no, you know it's, no, like crazy. It's, it's crazy it's crazy and so um you know we're, we're going to be building a brand new wrestling facility and so uh the community the the school everything uh you know they're all bought in uh to what what we're trying to accomplish here and so uh, with hearing the vision of Justin and really meeting the people, I was like, wow, this, this is a, this is a very, very, not only interesting, but a place that I feel can have a lot of success. And I get back home and I, you know, I talked to my wife and, and, you know, we got two little, two little boys that are, that are entrenched in, in, in the community back in Ithaca. And, and my wife worked for Cornell. She was a, you know, senior, senior, uh, um, uh, senior, no, no, I don't, 
lost the name of the term, but uh, in, in alumni affairs and development gotcha. and um, uh, senior director, sorry. And, uh, you know, so we had our life, we had our life planned out and, and this came out of nowhere. This came out of nowhere. And, you know, I told her, I said, I said, babe, listen, you got to go see it. And um, she didn't see it. Uh, she basically said, uh, if you think it's good for our family, she goes, I'm in. And wow. uh, that was that was all it took. And I remember the hardest conversation <clears throat> um, since probably my dad passing away uh, was the conversation with Rob Cole. Um, you know, when I had to call him and and and, and tell him uh, it was one night. And here's another. I'll tell you a little side side yeah. tr story here. Uh, <clears throat> you know, people say things happen for a reason. Uh, you know, uh, all these you know cliche sayings, uh, which I don't really. I think people say these things to make you feel better. Um, you know, more so than than the the facts, the actual happening. Um, but you know, nonetheless, it does happen. Uh, so we were trying to sell our house. We had our house on the market for three years and we were going to move closer into Ithaca. We wanted to buy some land and build and, and, and whatnot. So we had our house on the market for three years. We had hundreds, hundreds of, of showings, um, you know, uh, every week. And we never had one offer on our house in three years. What? Amazing. <laughs> for one thing or another, right? Yeah. They didn't like the land. They didn't like this. They liked this. They didn't like that. Um, but they, but whatever, not one offer. So we put our house back on the market, uh, in like February and then, you know, we go to nationals and then the South Coast state thing happens and everything. <clears throat> so I literally, get on the phone with Rob. I'm calling Rob and my wife, the kids are in bed where it's like nine o'clock at night and I'm sitting there with my wife, Terry. And as I'm dialing and the phone's ringing, she's in tears. And because we have built this relationship with Rob and Rachel and, and, and you know, William and Daniel, his two boys that, uh, you know, this was, this was, this was hard. How and, nervous for you, man. Um, I, okay, I wasn't nervous. I was, um, I was, I guess, disappointed, mm. right? Disappointed that I had to deliver bad news, and <clears throat> and she's crying. I get on the phone with Rob, and he just knew, and he goes, "I know why you're calling," and I and I started crying, <laughs> and I, I'm getting emotional. I mean, like this, this is my relationship with this man. And, um, it was hard and, and, and we talked for about a half hour and we went over everything and, you know, he's, he's happy for me. Um, he's, he's sad to see, see me go, but, uh, it was hard. Well, in the middle of the conversation, my wife gets a phone call. She leaves. Uh, I finish up the conversation. Um, I hang up the phone. My wife comes down the hall and she's like, you're never going to believe this. And I go, what? She goes, we just sold our house and I was like, get the heck out of here. And she's like, Damien, the people that looked at our house over the weekend, they just put an offer on our house and they want the house now. And I was like, this is crazy. So in literally three years of time, we never, we didn't have one offer. Uh, I take the job. I hang up the phone with Rob. We get an offer on our house. We take the offer and 
we're moving to South Dakota. And so it was uh, kind of a crazy, a, a crazy little time. Um, it all came, like I said, it came out of left field, did not see it coming. And, um, you know, now we're here and we're building something, you know, special. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, you know, I, I had my, my hat, you know, not even my hat, but, you know, I owe so much of what I do, how I'm running my program, you know, to the great mentors that I've had in, in my, uh, my life, you know, and circle back. It all started from the beginning. You know, this is, uh, my dad, uh, you know, he's been, you know, very instrumental in, in what I do, you know, the person that I am and, and then, you know, leading on to Rob and, and Jay and Marty. And I, I, I've been very fortunate mm-hmm. to have good people around me. And, um, you know, I, I literally, I'm, I'm texting with Rob last night, you know, it's like, you still have these relationships and, uh, you know, I owe a lot to these, these guys, um, for what I'm doing now. So I'm very, very, very thankful and grateful for, you know, the path that I've been on, uh, and where, where we're going. It's a great way to wind this down, man. This has been an awesome conversation. I I appreciate your time. The last thing we always ask is, and man, I'm getting a little emotional just from hearing all those stories, but how did, uh, how has wrestling shaped you? I've heard you say it's a foundation. I mean, it doesn't have to be a a long winded answer. It can be, but what are, what's something that sticks out to you as a way wrestling has shaped your life or what's it given given to you uh, you know you, you touched on it right i i believe what we do in this sport is the foundation for the rest of your life mm-hmm. you know that's the truth um you know i uh the lessons that i've learned the the people that i've surrounded myself by and been, been fortunate enough to do um they apply to everything everything in my life you know uh these lessons from wrestling help me raise my kids you know they help me you know have a a great marriage with my wife um you know this is this is everything you know know, there's an old slogan or saying that uh you know wrestling isn't a sport it's a way of life and and for for us diehards that are in this uh it is it is a way of life and um you know we're all bought in to this crazy sport you know my my entire family the wrestling community and um we we will all be better people because of it and uh, you know i'm telling you this is this sport is your foundation for everything that you want to do Amen, man. Well, as soon as this ban is lifted, I'm making a trip to South Dakota because you got me excited, uh, Damian Hahn, to come see it. Uh, Like I said, thank you again for taking the time today, sir. I look forward to getting this out to the audience. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, wrestlingchangemylife.com. Take care, y'all.